Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by USA-primed Frederick's Canvas. Supporting artists for 150 years, primed in Atlanta, Georgia, with the widest variety of primed and unprimed cottons and linens on the market. I've been using Frederick's for a long, long time, and it's always been a great canvas to work on in the studio. You can find Frederick's in your local art store or at frederick'sprintcanvas.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden is a company based in upstate New York and is committed to making the best artist materials for artists to make work with. You can get it in just about every art store and online at goldenpaints.com. Lisa Corrine Davis is an abstract painter exploring themes of racial, social, and psychological identity. Born in Baltimore, Maryland, currently living and working in Brooklyn and upstate New York, Lisa received her BFA from the Pratt Institute and her MFA from Hunter College. Her paintings have been exhibited across the United States and in Europe, including one-person shows at Gerald Peters and Spainerman Modern, Zola Lieberman Gallery in Chicago, and the Mayer Gallery in London. Her work is included in the collections of the Museum of Modern Art, the J. Paul Getty Museum, the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and the Victoria and Albert Museum. Lisa is the recipient of numerous awards, including the Lewis Comfort Tiffany Foundation Grant, a National Endowment for the Arts Visual Artist Fellowship, and three New York Foundations for the Arts Visual Arts Fellowships. In 2017, she was inducted as a National Academician at the National Academy Museum and School. Her essays on art and culture have been published in the Brooklyn Rail and Art Critical. Lisa has previously taught painting at Yale University, and she is currently Professor of Art and Head of Painting at Hunter College in New York. Her upcoming solo show at Pamela Salisbury Gallery will be on view in Hudson, New York in October. I spoke with Lisa remotely from her upstate home about growing up with expectations, classical music, the day jobs to teaching, making work on her speed, and much more. Here's our conversation. So it's a lot's changed, right? In a couple of weeks. I mean, how are you, how are you dealing? I, I, I mean, I'm doing fine. I kind of escaped New York about a week and a half ago, and uh, right when it was starting to get intense, but yeah. um, because I just wanted to be able to get to my studio without having to encounter people. So I'm up here in upstate New York and, you know, do my routine without like dodging random strangers and feeling like things were just going to go very south very quickly in New York. And I just saw this nightmare coming with the hospitals. And so it feels kind of normal up here, which is strange because I'm constantly talking to people in the city still. And um, yeah. They get a little more anxious as every day goes by. So, yeah, I mean, if someone asked me if I was going to my studio every day, because you know it's it's like ten minutes away. Yeah, yeah. And I said no because, and they were like, "Well, why not?" And I said, "Well, I'm working at home. Like, I have a little space yeah. to work on works on paper, and it's kind of nice <laughs> to take a break and and switch media. But also, too, it's like just going into the elevator. There's yeah. Like, and in, in, in my building, there's a million people and, and, you know, you just can't escape people around here. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and here you can, like, I walk out my back door and my studio is, you know, just like you know, a couple hundred yards away and I'm a runner so I can run through the farm fields. And, you know, if I see another person, they're walking and you can easily, but it's really rare that I encounter another human being in my path. So yeah. I just like, it just like took that whole layer of stress, like off the top away. So how, how far up are you? So I'm like 15 minutes out of Hudson, New York. So yeah. it's about, you know, two hours, 15 minutes from the city. Yeah. That's negotiable. I mean, that's like the perfect situation. Yeah. yeah I couldn't go farther. Uh, Cause I'm not big on driving and yeah. So it's far enough. Yeah. How long have you had that place? 
Well, we've been here in, um, you know, Livingston's the name of the town uh, for about uh, 10 years now. Um, yeah. My partner, when I met him, was living in Woodstock, and I just hated Woodstock. I just, <laughs> just found it like a bastion of like a place of, of people who would not progress forward in time and yeah. a log of... Um, you know, trust fund people who just opted out from their powerful families, but had found no, you know, root, you know, to their lives. And I, it was completely depressing. And I just like, after several years of being together, I kind of subtly made the nudge to move across the river. So. Yeah. Well, Hudson is a lot of artistic people and the community there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's gotten very much that way. I mean, maybe a little bit too much. The summer is uh, like almost being like being in New York. So yeah, um, uh, yeah, it could calm down a little bit for me. But, but well, yeah, you're not you're not right there though, right? You're a no, but there. your friends are all up here. I mean, I love my friends, but they're here, and there's like art events you know, nonstop in the summer, and um, it just it can get chaotic, you know. And yeah, I kind of come here to not be chaotic, so. You know, it's really funny when I used to live right by Bedford Avenue in Williamsburg. Yeah, that's where I live, actually. And we moved out off the Graham stop and we thought then like, oh, this is like, uh, <laughs> it's like the same ratio. That was like upstate New York back then. Right, exactly. Early 2000s, it was like, no one was really out here near Bushwick. I was like, this is nice and quiet. But and these, days, these days, it's like a college campus. Exactly, exactly. You got it. <laughs> It's the same kind of parallel. That's a perfect example. Yeah. For sure. You might have to go somewhere, even, maybe up to New Hampshire or something. Yeah, but I don't know. They're not my, I mean, I'm very careful. Like, as a, a kind of minority in the country, I'm yeah, yeah. very nervous about who are the neighbors. You know, can I shout if in trouble? Is there, will someone hear me? Um, is there another minority in sight anywhere? And so it right. definitely has that. New Hampshire, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the, further you, the further you get yeah. from the city. The yeah, that, more the Trump signs appear and stranger it gets, yeah. Well, I drive, well, I used to, not for the rest of the semester, but as, you know, I drive to Pennsylvania sure. and it gets really rural in the middle of Pennsylvania. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like you have the two cities and then you have a lot of Kentucky in between. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, so you have a studio there and in the city? Yeah, I have a studio here and in the city. So um, I tend to be up here in, during the semester break and all summer. And, you know, I, you know, move, move works back and forth um, between here and there. And it's kind of good because I get to leave paintings for a while and not see them they're not talking to me so when i go back and see them after a break it's like oh you know i remember you and yeah this is all wrong or oh i didn't know that was right and so it kind of hits the refresh button in the process for me because i'm can get like really you know too much into the detail and get my head too much into the painting so i i need to step away it's like a good long distance relationship. Like sometimes it, that's exactly how <laughs> just, I think about it. Right? It's like, look, painting, get out of my face for a couple months. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'll see you later. You'll be fresh when I come back to you. Exactly. I'll have a new perspective. <laughs> that is totally how I think about it. Absolutely. And the more I travel and the more I've worked between areas as an artist, you know, I, I feel like it really does have value to. Sort of, it's like when you move studios, it's never fun to move a studio, but when you get in a new space, you feel invigorated because it's just, you're, you're refreshing everything. You know, you're not having stale um, eyes or a stale relationship to that space. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I think it's really important to keep that relationship like shifting slightly. I mean, I think for me, when I, you know, move away from it like city and country or go on a residency. I just feel like I get a new perspective that is always useful. And um, otherwise, like you get too invested and you can't see the faults. You can't get, you know, you need a little objectivity. And that kind of moving around or distancing helps me get that objectivity. God, we can't, I, we can't dwell on this long though, because right now, the talking about the values of moving around. (laughs) 
not going to work at this moment. No. As I'm stuck. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It, well, hopefully sooner than later. Right? Yeah. Am I your first coronavirus interview? Um, you are my second coronavirus. <laughs> that okay. sounds terrible. <laughs> terrible, but that's, you know. Yeah. Happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different, like it's, you know, doing a remote, like doing it over the internet is, you know, it, it's a little different, but it, mm -hmm. you see the person and you can, yeah. but you know, it's this environment and climate has a totally different feel. It's like sure. when it's when something's not an option, it has a different vibe to it. Absolutely. Although I have to say, I kind of like being inside. Well, I think that's because we're artists. Like we're yeah. kind of used to this, like um, kind of sheltering and with your things around you. And it's not such a foreign feeling for us. And so right. I think we, we're not completely unhappy with this where other people are, you know, going nuts. Um, yeah, I feel kind of content. Um, I mean, I, I worry about what's going on out there, but as far as like my internal creative space and daily routine, I'm, I'm kind of okay with it. You know, I can do this for a while. Yeah, I think the one thing I noticed as I was working in a really different kind of environment with certain constrictions is it reminds me almost of like an art school when you would have those classes where you know the forced restrictions yeah i know i give those <laughs> yeah you kind of hate it but at the same time it really it, it it challenges you and then when you get away from that for a really long time right and then you have to jump back into that bus mm -hmm. you're like oh yeah this reminds me of old times it's kind yeah. of like, you know when i was coming up <laughs> right exactly i remember that well <laughs> yeah so i guess i i'm you try to embrace that i think as you get old but when i talk to my students there most of them are like I don't know. It, it's really hard to work this way in my yeah. living room. Like, what do I do? How do I? Exactly. I, I, maybe they're, since they haven't been doing it quite as long, you're not as confident in adapting what you're doing to different environments. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's funny because I just had my first remote class last week of my graduate students and I gave them this, you know, assignment, like what you're talking about. And it had to do with um, not make, not completing a work and paying attention and, and to the process, to what you do and what happened and what the piece is telling you to do next. And it's going to be like this long-term project for the semester. And they were completely flipped out by this. They were like, I, what about making my normal work? What about making my big work? And I'm like, well, you're thinking all the time. Like, this is just like thinking in a different form, thinking right. in a slower form. And um, that I'm not disrupting your process. I'm just asking you to think a little differently about the same stuff you think about. And, um, but yeah, it was really hard. It was like a bit of a 45 minute battle, you know, there's on Zoom until they kind of got it. And um, everyone's happy now, but um but yeah, it's like sometimes it just makes you take a different direction, but you can still work. I mean, because we're just making visual form out of our thoughts. And so um, why not think about it, think about those thoughts in a different way than your, than your habit is of thinking about those thoughts visually. So, right. yeah. Yeah, I think it's hard when you're in school and you're, you almost unconsciously subscribe to this notion of I have to develop my voice Right. And that's going to look a certain way. And there's, and I've, I've got to like, not defend it, but defend it. You know, I've got yeah. to talk about like, this is my voice and I'm really interested in these things. And then if you start flipping that on people and saying like, well, you know, go into the studio and make, you know, your work for next week is going to be a small video on an iPhone that's like 20 seconds long. Right. Yeah. Materials. And they're like, that's not me. That's not my voice. You know? Exactly. <laughs> Still so I think voice. if if you've been doing like your voice for a long right. time, you're like, yeah. oh, this sounds like a fun exercise. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You don't no, want to step exactly, It's exactly the case, yeah. See, Brian, what it's like now that you're on the other side of, you know, from the teacher fold, not the student fold anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think that's like a certain benchmark in age in your life is like yeah. that. And then also when you start to identify with parents more than kids, yeah. like, be nice to your parents, you know, they did a lot of work. <laughs> and like I... When I say that, I feel like, oh man, I guess I'm, I guess I'm getting a little older now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Exactly. It's okay. There's there's a certain uh, uh, you're, it's a little bit distinguishing, you know. It's like yeah, yeah I've lived a little bit. For sure, for sure. <laughs> you can handle things to yeah. a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how about you? Like when you were, I guess, in school from way back, you know, when you were growing up, were you mm-hmm. always thinking artistically, wanting to be an artist? Always. Where parents were supportive. Um, well, my father died when I was four, so I oh. was kind of raised by a single mother and um she she was uh the first in her family to be educated on any level and took herself through a law degree and a phd she never practiced um, law but she was the first of three women three black women in the state of maryland to get a law degree the only one that was married with children and um so in her mind, in raising my brother and myself, she, she didn't get to do what she wanted to do. I mean, she ended up um, getting a PhD in education and teaching at Johns Hopkins but, um, in Baltimore. But she wanted to be a brain surgeon. That, that was her dream. And she couldn't afford to be educated that long. She just didn't have the money to go through that kind of you know, long-term educational system. Yeah. So even though she wanted us both to be doctors and lawyers, um, both my brother and I are artists. And so she was always supportive, even though she didn't understand it really, um, because she wanted to give us the, the permission and the support to do what we loved. And that's what we both separately chose um, to do. Um, so yeah, she was supportive and she was also kind of a classic, um, you know, minority woman, of a certain generation who had aspirations and that meant culture. So we went to the Baltimore Museum. I saw the Cone Collection. We went to classical concerts and the ballet and music was in the house. And, and so she you know, had a kind of sense of this is what was needed to, um, to move forward uh, in the world. And so um, she participated, I mean, she, made paintings they were just terrible but (laughs) (laughs) but she did it you know and she she did a lot of crafts and you know um listened to beethoven and so yeah yeah there was support of um of me being an artist my brother being an artist and of culture at large yeah yeah so and she wanted you to have a rounded sort of cultural education yeah, I think um, she saw that if there was no option, um, that it had to happen. So, you know, we both went to, you know, private Quaker schools, my brother and I, and uh, stayed at the same school for 15 years and um, friend school. And uh, I, you know, I think art was always my way. I mean, I was different. Let's face it. I was different than most of my friends. Um, um on many realms. Most of them had two parents at home. Most of them had professional parents. Um, 99% of them were white. And so I knew I was different. And art allowed me the place to be different and be cool. Yeah. <laughs> to be different and be accepted, you know. So yeah, I was always an artist. I was always drawing and painting. I was always getting positive feedback for that. And um, yeah, that was, that's where I felt the secure place to exist was. Yeah. So, and you said that you would go see concerts and stuff, but what was the music situation growing up? Was it well, more yeah, I mean, my, sort of educational side or was it more of the. Yeah. My, my mother was not, um, she kind of tried to keep us on the highbrow, you know, classical music out of like Motown, like, you know, across the, I mean, I grew up in this like, you know, black neighborhood for the first 12 years. So across the street was this friend, her mother was always playing Motown in in the kitchen. And I would go over there and listen and think, this is super cool. This is great. Yeah. Never got played in my house. Uh, (laughs) Never. Um, But yet my brother, who's seven years older, you know, was in another room playing like, you know, the animals and the stones and, you know, um, so I was very aware. So it was a kind of um, music from different zones, you know, but, um, but yeah, but it, uh, and I listened to it all, I guess. Yeah. I guess it, 
it's such an you know a specific kind of um an education like the educational environment and you know that i'm sure you felt some sort of pressure in that sense of like well i've got to be rounded and i've got to to perform and i don't you know, I'm sure that shaped you. Oh my God, Ron, you like hit the nail on the head. Like I had to do it all. You know, I, I had to, I did the musicals. I did the class, uh, the choir. I did, um, sports, three sports, you know, I, um, you know, um, yeah, I just, I I just, uh, I did art. I, you know, I had to succeed in academics. I, I just felt like I had to do it all. And, um, and it wasn't just, I had to, I kind of wanted to, I just wanted to be involved in everything. And, uh, and I, and I did, I did that, you know, yeah, through college, I did that. Do you ever, I mean, do you ever just chill out and like say that, or do you always feel compelled? Like you have to be doing, you know what I mean? I I feel that way. So have a hard time chilling out. Like I tell my students sometimes I'm like, Oh, I've got this thing called a living room in my apartment. (laughs) I I should sit there sometimes, you know, but um, no, I'm like, you know, kind of hyper scheduled all the time. I get up, I go running, go to the studio, I teach, you know, I see all my friends, I go to open. I mean, I just, yeah, I have a hard time sitting still. Um, I mean, maybe that's like a neurotic place of like just not wanting to miss out on anything or maybe it's just like who I am. I don't know. Yeah, but um, if you grow up with so much kind of provided in this sort of like all-inclusive circular experience of like you should be doing this, you should be doing that. This is, you know, you should right. be uh, experiencing this music and this culture and performing this way in school. It, maybe it just gets baked in, you know. Yeah, yeah. And also, um, I guess because there was so little um, thing that felt unconstructed as a culture in my own household, I I was always watching and observing and participating to check this out and check that out. And um, so it was a way of um, gaining knowledge, I guess, making sure I knew what was going on and how different things and peoples worked. Um, that this, that is certainly part of the participant, you know, button in me, I think. Yeah. Did you happen to watch that Miles Davis uh, documentary on Netflix? No. Cause you know, Why? he grew, he grew up in a, in a well-to-do uh, family, you know, as a, mm-hmm. as a, in a black family where that wasn't the norm and he had to achieve and he had to learn classical music and there were all these pressures on him. I think that it seemed like it really created you know the drive and the sort of like um the expansive knowledge of experience to push his music in so many different ways over the decades but at the same time he seemed like it was such a weight on him too at the same time yeah i I completely understand that yeah Yeah. not an easy environment but (laughs) conducive to productivity and creativity for sure for sure (laughs) So when you, was it always a thought to go to art school or was there pressure, you know, what was the going to college situation like? Yeah. um, So I I guess the, the, my, I guess following my mother's dream, I uh, applied to a liberal art, I applied to Cornell University and went there. I mean, which was, made her happy, you know, as Ivy League school, it showed a certain sense of accomplishment. And I arrived there, I just thought, what am I doing here? Like, it was just an extension of my high school in bigger form. Yeah. Um, Did you want art school, like inside? I wanted, well, I wasn't sure. I mean, I I know that in the realm of I want to do everything, I guess there was a little bit of resistance there because I wanted to make sure to be able to study other things. So. You know, so I, uh, I studied Russian in high school, so I wanted to continue that in college, and I wanted to take different types of liberal arts classes. So I was, I was happy to go off to a school with a art program, but I was very aware very quickly that I needed to, and I was starting to find my um, desire to be me, yeah. <laughs> not to fit in with everyone else. So... Uh, so I stayed there for two years and studied art. And the art program was, you know, not great. 
and I had spent the first summer after um, freshman year there in New York taking classes at Pratt, and I was just in heaven. I mean, I was in heaven with New York. I was heaven just, you know, going to the studio all the time, talking art with art people, not having to do silly things like play croquet on the quad and in white dresses in the spring. You know, it's like, it was just, it was just my zone. So I went back sophomore year and uh, applied to Pratt and transferred to Pratt. I was going to say, was that the moment you knew like, okay, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Because I feel like when you're younger, you can have the feeling of like, oh, I want to be an artist. But that just means I really like drawing or, right. drawing or yeah. sculpting. Mm-hmm. And then when you hit a certain age, you're like, oh, I want to be an artist. Like, I want to professionally try to like do this in my life. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, yeah, and that's when it was clear. I mean, I was um, motivated, super serious, um, was not, I was not distracted by, I mean, I was and I wasn't. The nonsense. Like I the friends that went to school with me described me as the one that, you know, just wouldn't hang out as much would go and, you know, go to my studio. And, uh, um, but you know, I certainly, it was, it was the eighties and, uh, it was New York and, um, late seventies into the eighties. And there was a lot of fun going on. There was a lot of clubs going on. And I certainly loved that aspect of New York at the time too. Yeah. Did you, um, when was your work, like, what were you making at that point? Was it more assignment-based, or were you starting to branch out? Or? No, I was starting to... I mean, I was... Well, I should also say that when I was at Pratt, I started working for um, um, Jennifer Bartlett, the artist. Oh, so yeah. I got this studio assistant job. So I... And I guess I gravitated towards her because I had, um, you know, my work kind of looked like hers at the time and dealing with... Um, imagery and the grid and um, so I worked for her and I think at this at that time at at the end of Pratt and beginning of um, I went to Hunter College I was starting to grapple with my identity Um, this was the beginning of I look a certain way I was educated a certain way after moving from the black neighborhood in Baltimore we moved to the Orthodox Jewish neighborhood in Baltimore and so um, this kind of existential who am I question started to come up and what is the value of identity so I started using my own image and kind of uh, in a real postmodern way um, putting different different sources around my image to almost question, do these bits fit together? Does this, what this woman's face represents fit with, um, you know, the Greek vase or this image or that image and, and setting up the question of, you know, where's the grounding or the rooting of this narrative. Um, so that started in, in uh, the end of Pratt and continued into my graduate school at Hunter. Yeah. I mean, that sounds I'm not familiar with that work of yours, but in the eighties and thinking of the description, I can kind of picture that. Yeah. Yeah. And working for Jennifer Bartlett, which, I mean, when you're in the eighties, that's a great person to go. I mean, she was just like really hitting in the eighties. Yeah. No, she was, uh, I mean, it's interesting because I also then started working for Elizabeth Murray and Jack Tworkoff and, uh, yeah, Jennifer was the rock star. I mean, she had the huge loft on Lafayette Street and multiple assistants and, you know. Um, museums. Museum, huge studio space. Um, one day Jasper Johns came to lunch and I got to eat lunch. with. I mean, it was just like this dream for an art student, you know. Yeah. Um, and to witness this and to see that kind of success and to um, be invited into it. Well, that's good. That's a good artist assistant story, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. They they come in different shapes and sizes. They sure stories. do. <laughs> they sure do. I've heard quite a few of them. <laughs> that was one of the better ones. Really do you fun. ever ha- do you have assistants ever working for you? I do sometimes, off and on. I I have a hard time um, having an assistant in the room. I mean, my. Um, my work is so tedious and takes so long to make that it's helpful to have one, but then I feel like I have to talk to them and, you know, and I, and I always feel this kind of mentorish role, which I feel I should have, but 
I just really want to be alone. So yeah. it's really hard for me to have assistants. Um, so I tend to avoid them. Um, probably not to my, it's probably not useful, but um, I tend to avoid them. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you, sometimes you get people who say like, Oh, why don't you have more assistants or right. something? And yeah, I yeah. feel the same way. It's like, I just don't want anyone making my work. Yeah, that too. Right. I mean, but it would be really of, useful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and also I feel kind of like, is it fair to invite someone in and make them tape lines for like 16 hours? I right. don't know. I just, doesn't feel right somehow to me. So yeah, I barely want to put that on myself, let alone exactly. some poor, <laughs> someone where it's not their vision and not their image, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, it's so true. So, so true. Yeah. I guess you could have stretchers made. That's kind of like having an assistant. Well, I do that. I have. My, yeah. yeah. That's what I say. That's my assistant when I have a stretcher made for me. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. It counts. So when did you first start, like after you got out of school, how did you start doing the thing? Well, um, that's a good question. So I realized towards the end of graduate school that working for other artists was killing me on some level. Not that they were bad people in any way, but they were living in my head, you know, in a way that I didn't think was healthy. So, um, and their problems and their studio, um, you know, snags. And so I quit. And I, I did one of these, I mean, I think I did things that many artists do. I went from one job to the next for many years. Um, I remember at the time when I was still at Pratt, I met the artist Alan McCollum. And in one of my first meetings with him, he kept telling, anytime we were walking around New York, he'd say, oh, I used to work there. I used to work there. And I thought like, how many jobs has this guy <laughs> had? You know, I, I thought it was crazy, but very soon I learned, uh, why <laughs> so i worked in advertising on madison avenue for a while which was um really difficult uh and i was constantly rebelling um so they wanted me to dress properly and i would dress more outrageously every day so that i was banned from going to like certain floors of the agency and and then they wanted me to be a secretary but i had Point, pointedly never learned to type so that I couldn't be a secretary. But these two women bosses kind of liked me so much. They said, oh, just, just do it, just do it. So I said, okay. So like basically everyone, I would get up from my seat anytime someone needed something typed because I didn't know how to do it. So I was constantly hanging around with a cup of coffee while people were sitting in my secretarial seat <laughs> typing their own stuff. <laughs> so... So that didn't last, and they promoted me. And they said, well, this isn't going to work. So rather than fire me, they promoted me to doing production, which is like, you know, basically getting the stuff printed. So I would go to the printing houses and circle little dots on, like, this imperfection and that imperfection and go out to lots of fancy lunches. And and then I just said, like, I, could, could you just, could I just work four days a week? I said, I, I can do this job in four days. I don't need five days. I don't need lunch breaks. So they said, okay, okay, we'll, we'll let you do it for four days a week, but don't tell anyone. And then I said, can, can you just fire me? Can I just get on? <laughs> you just like, and they, they said, okay, okay. And they fired me and the company came after me. They didn't really believe I was fired, but then they, you know, they, they made the case for me. And, and so, um, so yeah, I did that. And, um, and then I went from there to the Jungian Institute. Really? Yeah, it was, uh, they were putting together their archive. They were trying to take their archive of um, archetypal symbols from file drawers to computer. And um, so I didn't know how to type and I didn't know anything about computers. And so I sat up for a week at night teaching myself finally to type and having a friend, you know, introduce me to the first computers. And I went in and I would make these secret phone calls, like what button do I push now? And, you know, it was hysterical, but um, yeah, did that for like a year. I don't know. I can go on. This could get boring, Brian. Well, I guess you had to learn how to type. You keep getting these typing gigs. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> As if your resume, the first line was like expert typer. You're doing the, the chicken right. pecking thing. No, it was like a thing. Like women just thought they were just, like, that's where you were, push to like any right. fine job it was like go type and I'm like I, I just don't do that and they, well uh, when did when did you when were you able to 
get the first studio and, and really start doing that stuff? Yeah. So once I always kept a studio in my like literally studio apartment, like the whole apartment was where I painted while I was doing those jobs. And I was pretty disciplined about coming home from work and, you know, just painting all night. And, um, the, um, um, and then I went from the studio apartment to, um, um, an apartment with, uh, with, with, with more of a space to paint, uh, um, Chelsea before Chelsea was Chelsea. Yeah. So I always, I always had uh, a a studio where I lived on until I had children. (laughs) That'll do it. That's my my story. (laughs) And then I had to get it out because, you know, like when my son started coming in and making imitation paintings of mine, like with his friends, I thought, I I, I don't think my ego is strong enough to handle it. So I got to move out of here and go to the studio somewhere else. So, um, yeah. So then I I got awarded one in the South Bronx. and, And then after that, I went to the Elizabeth Foundation. Um, when they first started in East 30s. Yeah. How long were you there? I was there for a good time. Let me think. I was there maybe 10 years. And I was going to say, because they do multi-year yeah. like studio spaces there, which is yeah. pretty great. Yeah, it was great. It was right when they started. So they, they would, once they completed the floor of studios, they would rent that out. So my floor was at the top of the building and therefore it was a smaller floor. We all were super tight. Um, very supportive of each other, nice community. Um, and then when that ended, I moved to Bushwick uh, to the evil 1717 Troutman building. Oh my. Which is a horrible. The land. legacy of that building. Oh my God. What so, year was that? Well, I must have moved in there in um, 20, 2009, I guess. And. Okay. Um, or eight and yeah, the landlord, I, I, I mean, people that went to Yale moved there to live and he threw them out overnight. And then I moved in and all of a sudden he just jacked up the heat bills and threw a bunch of us all out for no reason. And yeah, so that was not fun. One of those buildings. I remember the first time I set foot in that building was in I think 2000, 2001 maybe. Mm-hmm. And a friend that I played music with lived there. Right. And we, we would go there and just play music full yeah. blast. Right. Because <laughs> no, there was no one there. There's no yeah. one around. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, can we do this right now? And yeah, we're just going to play music. And uh, it had a real kind of, you know, rogue feel to it. Definitely. And then one of the guys who lived there got held up at knife point. So he moved back. He moved out of the city right after that. And it was, it, that was it for the 1717 Troutman experiment. <laughs> didn't last yeah. too long yeah it was it was pretty funky when i moved there it was still i remember like i just moved in i had this great space and i was leaving at night and you know i hear this lisa lisa and it was jules de Ballancourt who had a studio around the corner and he said you just can't be walking around here at, at night and i go uh what are you talking about and he's like lisa there's like you know there's um there's robberies there's prostitutions there's drugs like you know and i'm like okay so uh, he gave me the warning. I was much more careful. <laughs> the heads up. I never, I never had any problems, though. Did you, now, when you first started showing your work, mm-hmm. did that happen through, like, people, like a studio situation where people saw your work and recommended you? Or how did they, how yeah. did you get that ball rolling? But you really ask the good questions, don't you? Um, <laughs> I mean, I, no, it happened from a friend. I mean, I think yeah. that, like, the community of artists, and you know this, that you know from graduate school going forward are the people that, you know, make things happen for you. So um, I had a a friend of a friend um, in the neighborhood of Tribeca where I was living at the time. Um, She introduced her to my work, we talked, and she was showing at the June Kelly Gallery in Soho. And uh, recommended that June come see my work. And uh, June came. She was like one of those great studio visits that actually tells you what they're thinking. And she said, um, gosh, I really like this work, there's, but there's just no way I can sell it. <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> okay, um, that, like, 
great. You know, that, I'm glad to know the truth here. Right. So it was probably another, I don't know, eight months or so where she changed her mind. And, um, you know, I showed with her for several years and it was, it was good. It was really good. Uh, remember Soho. Remember Soho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the layers, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember the first time I came to New York when I was an undergrad in the early 90s. All the galleries on West Broadway and over yeah. in Soho, it was uh, such a different feel. It was. And, but when you first moved to Chelsea, was it? that's when it was all like garages and taxi shops and stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember walking to 10th Avenue to go to the Square Diner or the, I think that's what it's called. What is it called? The, anyway, um, and it was like going through, through like just emptiness to this one diner, you know, where artists yeah. were and then walking back, but there was no one on the street. There was, it was um, warehouses and, you know, some brownstones in there, but completely bizarre, empty. I mean, I've always lived in empty neighborhoods. <laughs> like yeah. Chelsea was empty. And then Tribeca was like, when was like the crossing canal street was like going to the moon. I mean, it was yeah. like zero and um, you know, and then Bushwick was similar. So um, right. Yeah. Yeah. You go in. You sort of, you know, make the neighborhood kind of a place to work, and then as soon as the artists come in, that's when the rents jack up and the coffee shops come in, and you can't be there anymore. That's what happens. That's what happens. I can watch it coming now. It's like, oh, okay. Now yeah. This is coffee shops. It's over. <laughs> right. <laughs> Two restaurants done. <laughs> yeah. I used to live in the Gretsch Building when I first moved to the city. And, um, you know, it was all artists in there. Vanessa yeah. Beecroft and, you know, Miltos Manetas. And there were a bunch uh-huh. of artists. And uh, the only place to eat was that Broadway diner. On yeah, Broadway. yeah, yeah, and yeah. There's nowhere else to go. So everyone was there, you know. Yeah. yeah. Now you can trip into three restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> Without even trying. Yeah. It's amazing yeah. how it changes. It's true. Yeah. So, well, when you were showing your work, and you started, um, at, did you start teaching early on? Like, when did you first start? So I started teaching in, uh, let me think about this, um, in the late 80s. So around 88, I would say, mm-hmm. at, at, at Pratt. No, sorry, at Parsons School of Design. Um, I was, you know, trying to break into college teaching. I was teaching at studio in a school before that. And I was at some party one night and someone said, how are you doing? And I said, I, I just like really fed up. I got to, I got to get a college teaching job. And this woman who was an architect said, well, I, I you know, let me talk to the foundation department at Parsons. And they did. And I went in and, uh, had an interview and the first class they had me teach was um 3d design oh (laughs) wow (laughs) so they're like can you teach 3d design like absolutely i am so good at this Uh, (laughs) yes i can do that so it's right in my wheelhouse i've been (laughs) waiting for this moment my whole life wow i have material (laughs) material material so uh so i taught like 3d design and then you know 2d stuff and at, at parsons and you know, Parsons has no um, or had no secure role, uh, roles for professors. It was all adjuncts. And, yeah. But the but the head of foundation had just, just started this um, potential three-year contract. It was like called special part-time. And um, it was at that moment that I was having a show in Charlottesville, Virginia. I think you've heard this story. But um, And I met Robert Reed, who was... Uh, teaching or had a pain at that moment at Yale and he came to the opening introduced himself and liked my work and said um you know would you like to teach at Yale which I thought was the most insane question and um so I said yeah yeah okay and we met and he eventually offered me a summer class there and um and then it began because Yale was a lot you know yeah (laughs) Yale was a lot (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I can't. It's funny. I can't, you know, I've been teaching now for a while. I imagine that environment 
and it has shaped by my, you know, my time as a student there. Sure. Yeah. And I think the further away I get from it, I think the memories get a little foggier because I can't remember last week anymore. But right. <laughs> at the same time, I feel like the context that I have now, I can kind of shape some of the stuff. And when I think back to it, I think it was such a high energy, you know, a very serious atmosphere. And it was a very. lot of competitive energy and it, it wasn't I feel like nowadays everyone's a lot more supportive and kind of like oh we Definitely. can all do this together Definitely. back back then it was like you stink I'm good and I'm gonna I'm gonna win I'm gonna Chris. take you down right? yeah I'm gonna win the critique you know yeah yeah I mean that cultural even the cultural shift at the time from like a foundation program at Parsons where everyone's just trying to learn stuff and there was a lot of international students so yeah, arriving at Yale, I was like, I am in the the you know um, uh, the center of the boxing rink here, and yeah. I just couldn't believe the. I mean, I was so impressed and learned so much from the seriousness of the place, but I was struck by the the you know the the student um, you know behind the scenes, like you said, who's king of the hill situation going on. And, uh, and that doesn't exist anymore. Everyone's much more supportive um, and like we're in this together, but that scene was like a lot. And, uh, and to come into that was, you know, I mean, I was relatively young. So I, um, I felt uh, I had to, um, you know, not be shaken by it you know had, yeah. had to hide all sense of like this is just like nuts and it, it's like making me crazy um so yeah it was a lot of work um, well how do you feel about the difference pedagogically between you know this kind of i guess it's kind of like parenting too mm -hmm. back in the day you're a little more hard you know and right about this i, I guess you could liken it to nowadays like everyone gets a trophy sort of thing you know, yeah, like you all right. get, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, what do you, how do you feel between those two sort of philosophies or experience of like the tough love and like pushing through, like really putting the pressure on. And nowadays when it seems a little more like positive reinforcement, you know, everyone's mm -hmm. great. Let's just try to be a little greater. Yeah. I don't know. Like I remember, I guess the best way to answer that for me is I remember at, at Yale teaching this seminar and I just stopped and I looked at everyone and I said, oh, you guys all think this is like a career, like finishing school for a career. And they went, mm -hmm. yeah. And I said, and like, so you like get your degree and you'll go and have these careers. And they said, yeah. So the next week I went home and came back with all these Whitney Biennial catalogs and just opened to random pages and said, do you know this person? Oh, and that's a brutal, brutal <laughs> example. <laughs> so... so <laughs> So what I try, like the, like what I try to do now is like this is like um, this is a discipline that you are not going to get better at, and no one really cares about if you don't take it seriously. So like I need you, the student, to show me that you have the dedication for the long haul of this. Like it's like uh, you might make money and people might brag about you, but um, but even those people. Um, who we know sometimes um, the work isn't moving, you know, this is like you are you have like some questions and you're trying to find the better visual way to present those questions and right. unless you are determined to work hard Nothing's gonna move forward in answering those questions. So so yeah, I mean, I think I try to take it out of the career zone of pressure and into the your personal ambition to be better at something like, like, like yoga or something. It's like, yeah. like I can, I can give you instructions and you can like to do a handstand, but unless you keep falling on your face, you're never gonna, the instructions are going to take a while to set in and you've right. got to just keep at it until you achieve it, you know? And so, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I can still be hard, um, but, and, and I only get, frustrated when I see that no that there's just that the student is just not um not working that's right. the only thing that makes me mad it's like 
why aren't you what, what do you think this is you know there's no you're paying for pot this. of gold they, you're paying this <laughs> and there's no pot of gold waiting for you at the end of the rainbow like just right. you know why like why bother you know so yeah that's always perplexing you know it's like a very expensive four-year vacation exactly <laughs> <laughs> for sure less you expensive know, at hunter <laughs> yes that is true <laughs> yeah i used to do this thing too that um, I would teach as if everyone in my all my classes wanted to be full-time professional artists. And right. I think that's kind of, mm -hmm. you know, I learned to adapt that. And I've, I've even created like a, a class where it's basically like, you know, how to use creativity in other ways, in other yeah. fields, and how you can use this for the rest of your life, not necessarily, I mean, in the art world if you want to go there, but also yeah. in doing design things or fashion or whatever it is, because so many people start out in art school because they want to do something creative and they have that love for it yeah but ultimately they don't want to just get a gallery and make work they they might want to do something completely different yeah yeah and I, I even have a friend that's like a brain surgeon who draws and at one point i remember saying to him like why, why do you draw all the time and he said oh because it helps me pay attention like i have to pay attention when i when i'm doing surgery i have yeah. to and so something oh. about even though he's not literally drawing in the you know, surgical room, obviously, there's something about the discipline of paying attention, looking, navigating that happens in the drawing process that in some way helps his, um, you know, agency or muscle memory when he's in surgery, you know? And so there, there's ways of thinking and doing and, and looking that are valuable across the board yeah to different Completely. people altogether yeah and it's probably something really refreshing about utilizing that kind of focus and dexterity without it someone's life being on the line exactly <laughs> i think he felt great relief about that right. <laughs> like if this drawing sucks no one's gonna die i could just put it in the drawer right yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that should be on any syllabus <laughs> Like failure is okay. Or low, right? yeah. <laughs> failure is okay in this area. Exactly. <laughs> Many places not, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Does it do you feel like teaching um fuels your practice like fuels what you're doing in the studio and yeah. makes you ask those questions that, you know, you're asking students of? Yeah, I mean like I can rage against teaching sometimes because I don't know. It seems like a thing to do. But um but yeah, rage I mean, against like, teaching. That's yeah. a punk band. Rage against teaching. Do it, Brian. Do it. <laughs> Hold um, on. I'm gonna start the I'm gonna start the Instagram page right now. <laughs> um no, it's it's a privilege. It's like my own talk show. It's like I like I have things I think about and I and those things I think about may be slightly different than my students, but but ultimately, we're all living in a, a certain time and place where there are social conditions um, and physical conditions that frame the way we think, right? So, um, and I have specific obsessions about those things and that are different than others, but I can play it out in, in class, you know, or I can just like think about, um, random thoughts that like become interesting like like this week it's um the difference between like a series and a sequence right like and like a series seems like what's wrong with the world turn off my text messages when they come um so a series is like um just like stuff you know it doesn't sequence like is a progression it's like something makes you go to the next step and the next step and the next step yeah. so i'm thinking about that i'm thinking about how i constantly rage against postmodernism and how that is that's more series based than sequence based as a as a kind of metaphor and um and um you know and i'm and i'm also thinking about um the, the problems of the kind of narcissism that occurred during Warhol's time, you know, again, back to the, the sequence, not the series. And um, I mean, the series, not the sequence. And so 
so, so because I'm thinking about our own narcissism at this given time with um, the coronavirus and people's need to have their lives be exactly the same and like, you know, art students raging like I can't be in my studio at school or, and, um, and, and how this manifests through like formal notions for me, like sequence and series and how that the world is built on these notions. So yeah, to me to just like spin around that idea is like a luxury yeah. that I get paid to do that, you know, and mm -hmm. I can play out this idea through my class tomorrow, um, which we kind of started a little bit last week, um, which plays into ideas I have about repetition in my own work, you know, and, and what that's about. So, um, so it's ultimately comes back to me and things that I think about, but it just kind of, has waves that go out to bigger places in the world. And I think teaching is a great place to work this stuff out because it's just not me talking to myself. I get to throw it around with, you know, intelligent graduate students, you know, um, that are younger than I am. Yeah. It kind of gives it a context, everything that you're thinking about. Right. You know, yeah. like I feel like before it just it was it's you in the studio and your thoughts. And then later on when you show the work, you're like, yeah, this is what I was thinking about. Yeah. You know, and this and then you talk about a little. Whereas, you know, with teaching, it's it's more rounded. It's it's I don't know. I think it's a it's a really I as you said, it's easy to rage about it and it's exhausting. And it's right. the the you know, the the bureaucracy and all that stuff aside. But it it does sort of give you. I think a more 360 view of things sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is useful. It's kind of like when you become a parent and your world stops revolving just around you. Totally. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, there's, there's other people on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> it also makes you aware of your own actions. Like when you're a parent, you're like, you, you think, oh my God, my kid just did that thing that I do that I don't like that I do. So same with, with teaching, you know, you, you, it's like a little bit of a mirror back at yourself. Like you can kind of um, be a little more self-aware about um, not being too self-involved. Um, so um, in your thinking, so yeah, it's, it's good. I feel privileged to have the job I have. Yeah. Um, well, so what are you working on now? Hmm. Some new paintings? I am. I mean, I'm up here working on new paintings and uh, I have a couple of things coming up. Uh, I hope. Yeah, just <laughs> art world moves forward in the fall. We'll see. Well, if you put them on the schedule book on this recording, in some way that will set it in stone. No, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. Fingers I, crossed. I'll just keep my fingers crossed. Um, yeah, no, I'm, um, you know, I'm hanging away. My work's very slow, so um, I feel good having this time to not feel like I got to hurry it up. So, um, yeah, it just is slow work. It's good. Some of the best things in life are slow. Yeah. <laughs> what are we racing towards, right? <laughs> what are we racing towards? I have no idea. No idea. It's true. Yeah, that's one of the valuable things about as you get a little older, you're like, you're okay to downshift a little bit. You don't yeah. always have to be in sixth gear. Exactly. exactly. Don't burn well, yourself out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's very true. Well, so for people who are listening in the meantime, when they're stuck at home and can't go out to galleries, like what's the best way for them to see your work and what you're up to? Oh, well, I guess my website, lisacorindavis.com is the mm -hmm. best. Yeah. I'm pretty good about keeping it. Um, up to date so um sounds good and you do social media too though right i do i do i post I, I very rarely post my own work but um but i do on occasion and um but yeah but i certainly post like what i'm up to or shows or lectures or you know things i'm involved in for sure for sure sounds good. you know this is that like i don't know is there like a bad form for posting like is it annoying when people post about themselves all the time or no? Come on, Brian, what do you think? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I have, I mean, I'm from Pittsburgh. I have a little bit of Andy Warhol in me. I feel like I'm not that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, I kind of use Instagram to show 
snippet. I don't like to show my work on there because I want people to see it. I now show like things that are already out in the world or snippets of stuff, but I don't know. I try to balance it and and use it to an extent, but put Mm -hmm. it in its context, you know, I don't want to be on the phone all the time, but you know, these days it's hard to, to step back a little bit because, you know, when your whole social life is like mitigated by the, you know, the phone, it's, you're going to be on there, but yeah, you know, I try not to overshare, but you know, yeah, but I, you know, I'm finding it's it's kind of a necessary tool now. I mean, yeah. um, certainly in the last year or so, you know, big collectors have come through Instagram posts, and yeah. um, and I'm kind of wondering what's going on, like the gallery scene, how it's going to shift a bit because I don't know. We they they used to get fifty percent for PR and um, finding, you know, connecting you to people and, um, collectors and museums. And, and now it seems like they're a little less net needed for that. Some of that activity. And yeah, so, for sure. There's so many artists out there who have a huge following online and sell their right. stuff out of their studio Absolutely. and everyone else is like, well, that's not, you know what I mean? Like kind of shit, not verbally, but kind of like, Oh, that yeah. shaming them for doing that. Like you need a gallery. Like this is right. so kind of like Instagram selling. And now who's laughing? I mean, as like art Basel yeah. goes online for exactly. galleries are doing online shows. It's like, what's the difference? Right. Right. Really. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a complicated stew that's about to be put on the burner. I think so. I think so. What happens and how it happens. And, um, but I, I expect a shift soon. Yeah. Soon. Yeah. For sure. Well, in the meantime, we're just going to keep making work, right? Absolutely. And doing these Zoom classes. (laughs) Zoom classes. (laughs) I know. Well, they're working on some level. Yeah, they are. I mean, my students are happy to connect. You know, I feel like it's it's working. Yeah, and and weirdly enough, mine were really happy to see each other's faces last week. Just missing. So it's, it's, it's not the best, but it's better than not at all seeing people being able to talk and not having virtual cocktail parties on zoom. And we're going to have a virtual dinner party this Friday with people. So I don't know. It's a way. (laughs) It is a way. And you, and you just don't really have to worry about breath anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It's one less thing to have to worry about. Or what's going on from the waist down? No, yeah, sweatpants. <laughs> yeah, all the, exactly. Like, which ones am I going to wear today? Exactly. Not the same ones from yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> no reason not to. No right. at all. That's really relaxing. <laughs> Simplifies. Laundry's less, you know. It's kind of good. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, global strife, sweatpants, comfort. It all balances out. Exactly. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm... Um, I would love to have done this in person, but it was great to do it this way. Oh, it's so great, Brian. It's so great to talk with you and to have the opportunity to see your face online. Likewise. Yeah, it would have been nice to do it in person, but, you know, we'll see each other. Yeah, once the dust settles. Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right, thanks a lot. Thank you. Sound and Vision is recorded, produced, and edited by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by going to soundandvisionpodcast.com. And you can find more images on Instagram at soundandvisionpodcast. You can find out more about my work at brianalfred.net or at Alfred Studio on Instagram. You can support the podcast by leaving a rating, a review, subscribing on iTunes, and any other platform you listen to. You can also tell a friend, spread the word. Thank you to Michael Lovett for the introduction. Lullatone for the music you're hearing here. You can check out their music on their Bandcamp page. You can name your price and download a lot of their music. Also, thank you to Frederick's Canvas and to Golden Artist Colors for their continued support. Many thanks to Lisa Davis. Make sure you check out her work. She is on Instagram and she has a website that you can check out. Also, many thanks to all the people who have been sending messages and um, checking out the podcast and also sharing it with their classes and sharing it with their peers. It means a lot. And thanks to all you listeners. <laughs>